Hello, everyone, and welcome, or welcome back to But I'm an Emerging Artist. Um, today, we're doing something a bit different. We are recording from two different locations. Crazy. Um, so bear with, because it's the first time I'm doing it. Um, I'm here with Emily Buxton, amazing actor from Sydney. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Um, hi, I'm Emily. Very flattered right now because Adam just said that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm an actor, producer in Sydney, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, that's really what I do in this industry. Yeah, I love it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about risks and risk-taking um, and imposter syndrome yeah. that Emily brought up today. I thought it was fantastic. Um, so do you want to start? Should we identify what a risk is? What a risk is, that's such a, I feel like it's such a complicated yet simple thing at the same time. I think yeah. ultimately a risk, especially in this industry, I mean, you can also talk about it in terms of just acting as well, but risk in this industry is just mm. doing something that I think exposes you or um, just makes you vulnerable. And it's just putting yourself out there and on the line and ultimate. well, in acting school, they always say risk is something that's going to cost you or so- you're putting up something that you can lose. Yeah, mm. I guess that's what risk is. And it's terrifying, utterly terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think it's kind of subjective. Yeah. Is that the word that I think of? Like it's very like what I would consider a risk, probably other people yeah. wouldn't, or, like, vice exactly. versa. Exactly, all the time. The amount of times where I say to people, they're like, oh, do this. And I go, um, no, no way, that's too embarrassing, or I'm just too scared. I'm like, why on earth oh, are you scared? God. Shut up. This is what I, I hate. The one thing I hate is when people are like, they go to do acting, but then they're like, no, that's embarrassing. I'm like, oh, my God. It's just embarrassing. Move on from it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's and that's one of the things as well is that it's the permission. This is one of the funny things about this industry and, like, what it is to act or, like, be an artist in comparison to just being a human where if it's a safe space and so on, actors and artists can really be like, this is a risk, this is a safe space to fail. Easier said than done. You kind of have to separate your humanity from the room because as a human, I'll go, this is utterly terrifying. But then as an actor, the amount of times I've been like, yeah, let's do this. I don't care what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think, yeah, you have to kind of, like, pull yourself out of it in a yeah. way. But, like, not completely. Yeah. It's <laughs> acting, that's all All it is, really. It's yeah, going, it's crazy. I'm not a um, person, but... Like, I still have to remain truthful and a human. It's so Yeah, literally. Um, so let's chat about imposter syndrome because I love mm-hmm. when you brought this up to me. Mm-hmm. Um, should we quickly define imposter, imposter syndrome? syndrome for people that don't know? Let me do a Google. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what you're <laughs> Um, okay. Imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent internalised fear of being exposed as a fraud. This hits hits home a little too much. So that is like, 
the base definition. I'm sure I could like unpack it further via the internet, but <laughs> let's chat about this because I think it's super interesting. I mean, like, doesn't everyone suffer from imposter syndrome? I think, especially as an artist, we all have egos that we want to protect, Absolutely. but also want to inflate. Think... Yeah, no, totally. I think because I was chatting with Andrea, yeah. and we were saying how like life is acting, and everybody is like just you know putting on this persona. Yeah. And it's like, I just feel like everyone experiences imposter syndrome, whether they like it or not. They so do. And it's weird. And I think this is funnily enough, because when we were kind of chatting back and forth earlier about what we're going to talk about today, and Mm. I I was thinking about imposter syndrome and risk, and I kind of feel like it happens together because you kind of Mm. just don't want to be exposed, I think, because it's that whole thing of you feel like you're going to be you're going to be exposed as a fraud. So if you take risk, you're going to be exposed as a fraud if it doesn't go your way. And instead of learning from it, you're like, ah, shit, now they actually know who I am. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why so many people, I think that's why imposter syndrome is so rife in the arts. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I yeah, I like I'm trying to unpack mentally. That's not, I'm, um, I'm just trying to figure out which tangent I go down right now. That's all. My yeah, no, it's do. same. I'm like, where do I go with this? Um, do you have anywhere like you need to hit on with imposter syndrome because you do bring it up, so you probably have like more <laughs> thought patterns going on than me. All, all of my issues. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no like, imposter syndrome is. I think it's the most one of the most fascinating universal and yet personal things that you can experience because the amount of actors that I've talked to or like friends in the industry and so on and I just say like I just feel like I don't belong here or anything like that and they go are you crazy of course you do but then something will happen to them and they say the exact same thing and you go you just gave me this advice (laughs) to that you deserve Mm. to be here you just can't it's such a weird thing I think particularly in this arts industry that no one can believe their fortune or hard work to put them where they are which is nuts because it's a job and so you want to be rewarded for your hard work and therefore keep getting work keep getting promotion however you want to view it just as everyone else in all the other workforces do but in this particular industry we just can't handle it where if we get a role or anything like that or people say we did well you go oh thank you, you like faint a smile and you go, but do you really believe that? Mm, Yeah, which also reverts back to tall puppy syndrome. Yes, yes. Which I am doing a whole episode on because I think that needs a whole episode. That needs a whole episode, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think it's kind of embedded in who we are as people. I don't know. Yeah. Um, And I was chatting to Meg (laughs) And she was like, in America, nobody does no that. One does if you do that in America, you look like a fucking weirdo. Yeah. And I was like, oh. they're also they're confident. They, I mean, that's just, and that's one of the funny things about the Australian arts industry compared to others. And I think they said, I, I'm trying to remember when all of the Australians started blowing up Hollywood and they're doing all these like news reports on them going, oh, why does America love Australia? It's ultimately because we're actually quite because of tall poppy syndrome, we're actually quite humble and hardworking. Whereas in America, mm. they're just kind of peacock everything. They're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. I'm so great. Um, and I think that's just, yeah, it's so weird to compare the two 
industries, continents, everything. Because it's just there's yeah. such a different performance. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a point, but I've like lost oh, it. No. This is what the entire um, talk is going to be. <laughs> literally. Um, no, I was thinking about like um, with imposter syndrome, how there's like always this fear of being exposed. Yeah. Does that fear or anxiety help or hinder your performance, do you think? Like, from an acting point yeah, of view. I was actually thinking about this before. It depends. I I think it's all a personal situation and kind of where you're sitting and your comfortability with yourself. Because um, I know that I've had imposter syndrome where, like, you can walk into an audition room and you go, why on earth am I here? I I don't know what I'm doing. They're not going to like me anyway. And so the negative side of it, like you can bomb everything. You cannot perform as well because you're self-sabotaging because you don't yourself because you don't believe you belong there. Um, And, yeah, so it can be really inhibiting. I don't know, exposing myself, I don't know if there's necessarily a positive side to imposter syndrome because I think it's ultimately a negative thing I don't think you can feel like an imposter and something good can come out of it you kind of just fight your way past it or through it I think yeah interesting point but again like that's only my personal experience some people might have feelings of imposter syndrome and they're like no okay what does this feel like how do we change that feeling how can I use this to help me in the room do you just Going, mm. everyone's going to expose me as a fraud, so screw it. Let's just throw it all away and see what happens. Yeah. So do you think that imposter syndrome is something that people can, like, experience and then move on from, or is it something that everyone just has all the time? Again, I... Like, do you think that Meryl Streep experiences this? Because <laughs> she probably does. Who knows? Yeah. That is actually such a good point. Like, at this point in her career, does she go... Are they just wanting me here for my name? Do they actually think I'm good enough for it? It's that's it. Oh, now I just want to talk about Meryl Streep and what her potential uh. psychology is. Um, but no, I think imposter syndrome it comes in waves. I think yeah. it definitely comes into like what you believe in your abilities and like your self worth or like self esteem and so on, especially in this industry. And mm. it can, like, flare up and flare down. I know last year I kept on having, like, intense imposter syndrome where I just kept on going, I don't know how I'm here or why I'm here and blah, blah, blah. But there are other times where it goes, I go, no, I am good and I do deserve to be here. It, I think it definitely goes in waves. I think it's always going to maybe be an undercurrent because in this industry everyone's always fighting for work. So it's always mm. going to just kind of be... Uh, like it's going to be the underbelly of everything I think again depends on how secure you are as a person I don't yeah (laughs) so do you think that if you were like sitting in a comfortable area and you were not taking risks you weren't pushing the boundaries do you think you would experience imposter syndrome or would you just not be afraid of that because you're not pushing yourself yeah I because I feel like even if you were pushing yourself as an actor, there's always an element of, like, putting yourself on the line. Yeah. And so I feel like you would still experience it, but I don't know. I, that's just my view on no, it. I totally agree with that. It's, I guess, 
maybe potentially like imposter syndrome is the negative side of risk taking. Maybe because yeah. like putting yourself on the line, you can either be insecure, like you could be insecure and therefore not put yourself on the line, and that's imposter. I feel like I'm maybe talking in circles. I have no idea. Um, no, okay, let me, I'm backtracking. So sitting in the middle, I think potentially if you're kind of just coasting by, you know what, just getting work. Uh, yeah, if you're just like coasting by getting good work, I, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't get imposter syndrome because it's just becoming a rhythm to you. And you're like, okay, I keep on getting hired in this kind of same field or mm. so that's and if you are believing in your work then yes but also then because I like to challenge everything I'm then like as an actor or as an artist are you satisfied yeah absolutely because I, like are you not putting in enough risk to kind of challenge yourself to feel like the bird inside you know yeah, what I mean like, that, like I feel like fire. I would be so bored of acting if I just did the same shit all the time yeah. and I was just like not even pushing me like I would just get bored of it yeah, quickly exactly um yeah and I think imposter syndrome is yeah if you don't have a handle on it it can be the negative side of risk taking where you can be bold enough to take risks mm. but then you don't believe in yourself when you get there yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I know it's such a weird thing to kind of put together. Honestly, like, us artists, we're just absolutely crazy humans because we <laughs> deal with so much. We deal with so much, like, emotional and mental crap that mm. it's just, oh, we're nuts. Anyway, um, I know for me personally, I because I did – um, I, as you know, I did the step up program for KXT last year and before all of this wonderful time that we're experiencing, I was going to be putting on a show there this year and I had a meeting with Suzanne, the artistic director there and mm. we were chatting about it and I was going, oh, I don't really know because they wanted me to produce it by myself and I was like, I don't know if I want, if I have the capabilities to do it it's just I'm really not used to this and they go no we put you in the program for a reason we've got a team around you because we believe in you and that was the first time in ages I went oh my goodness I didn't think I was going to be good enough to do this and someone else actually believes in me it was the first time in a while I'd actually gone oh okay I've felt like an imposter this entire time yeah which that for me that and that's I think why I brought it up with you because it was so front of mind because recent it was so recent for me to go I didn't realize for so long I was going I don't belong here. Yeah, yeah. So, like on coming off of that, yeah. do you think that it's like a thing that has to be like realized? Like, how am I phrasing this? Like, is it something that somebody else needs to affirm for you or is it something that you need to overcome within yourself? I think it's something that you need to overcome within yourself because someone can keep on telling you that you're good and shaking you and and slapping you around. But you can still go, Mm. okay, yeah, sure, but I don't really believe you. It's something that you have to change in yourself. And Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's something that every artist will face time and time again in their life. 
Of course they will. Look at the shit we do. As if you wouldn't experience this. Your ego gets hit every single time. And then once you get something, you go, I've dealt with so much rejection. Do I actually deserve this? So it's, yeah, it's something that you have to personally overcome, which is something I don't think is taught enough. That's Mm. one of my things with acting schools is I don't feel like they, they teach you the craft, which is awesome. And it's so fun and you're so lucky to be able to do it. But they do not teach you about being in the industry and they do not teach you how to deal with things. Like yeah, I totally. wish I had done that many – I wish we'd done audition classes in college of like it's not even auditioning for anything. You were just pumping out auditions and I wish I had been rejected every single time so I could get used to it. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? I don't even know. <laughs> um, so why do you think people or companies or, you know, whatever, are afraid of taking a risk? Like, what do you think is on the line? Um, ego, for one. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. It depends on, I guess, what – it depends on what you're looking at. I mean, I think ego and the potential for more work and then therefore money <laughs> – like, mm, yeah, yeah. theatres take too much risk. People aren't going to be coming to the theatres because they know when they go there they're not going to enjoy or it's not going to be their taste. Um, and so that's why theatres kind of have to toe the line, depending on where you go, have to toe the line of um, who, like what shows do we program that's kind of starting to push the boundaries but is also still going to get people through the door. Artists go, okay, how do I stand out and how do I make this character its own and get the job? But also how Mm. far is too far in the audition room or the rehearsal room that's going to make the director or anyone go, um, no, you're not right for this. Or this is, no, this isn't a thing that we want to go with. And yeah, because you just ultimately you just want to keep on getting work, and so if you keep taking mm. too much risk, sometimes it's not going to go your way. And just, I guess it depends also on how forgiving other people are in terms of what you put forward. Yeah, um, on like a bigger scale of like, like let's talk about like theatre companies, yeah. the work that they program, Are we gonna... and that in terms of risk. Yeah. I think like... it's interesting what you said about um, money driving yeah. it. Well, that was very interesting because I think that that's a very big Yes, that is a huge factor. Thing. It is a huge factor and it is who is, thro- who is throwing the money at the theatre. Be- because the theatre industry, as you're seeing from an, an unsubsidised sector, that's changing and I think mm. all of the artists in the Sydney scene are starting to kind of ruffle enough feathers and are expecting more that you're slowly starting to see changes ever so slightly. You're starting to see changes ripple up the line. Yeah. Um, but so I think at some point it's potentially going to change, but my question is whether or not things like STC is always going to survive because it's government funded. It just gets that much thrown, money thrown at it. But places like the ensemble, how, I'm, I genuinely have thought about it before. I'm like, how are they going to survive once their main market, like, pass away? Because you, you're going to have to quickly really tr- 
like do you quickly change your programming structure or like how how is that going to change and you're going to get people to actually still rock up through the door um but they know what they program is safe mm. and they're going to get money cuz their audience is going to show up for it yeah but then again what happens when that audience goes away or people are just starting to say no we don't like it or like, even like what happens when things change because this industry is changing so quickly quickly. what happens when things change and the shit that they program isn't interesting or good enough anymore like but yeah exactly that's I I think a lot of the people that are kind of coming through uh artists wise they're kind of going they're going no we don't want to see this work because we've seen this work before we want new stories that represent everyone and that we find really interesting to tell yeah yeah that's not happening at what point does it change? What point do they take the risk of moving forward? But will they be one of those companies that never moves forward and they just do like classics and so on? Oh, classic. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, I just, but then I'm thinking, like, what is at, like, what is at stake if they took a risk and then it failed? Like, let's say it did. Like, the company will still stand. It's not like you just do one bad play and then the company will literally shut yeah. down. A lot of places do bad plays and, like, the companies yeah. are fine. So I'm just like, what's at stake mm-hmm. for you? Like, what, you went full house every night? Like, yeah. so what? Exactly. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, for them, I guess it's just, yeah, the risk of maybe that, I don't know, maybe that's how our theatre companies ha- or theatre theater houses have to do it is that they put one or two unexpected um shows on that kind of don't really fit the season or they fit the season but it's a little bit more for their normal audiences it's not what they would see to try and bring in new audiences Mm. I mean because for theatres it's ultimately about making money so do they they should theoretically care about the art (laughs) in the arts industry (laughs) it's like do they care or are they just wanting to make sure people come through the door that's a different, that's a completely yeah. different subject. My brain Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm thinking, like, if companies like Ensemble weren't willing to take a risk, like, straight yeah. off the bat, why don't they have their season? And then why don't they have, like, a secondary season yeah. or program or whatever? Like, um, kind of like Freshworks of the old Family yeah. Five. Like, why don't they do something like that where they could, like, trial with a, yeah. see what happens? Or, like, even think if you then kind of are <coughs> going... <coughs> Come down, Adam. Um, but yeah, what if you like look at something at Belvoir where they've got twenty five A now, where mm. to a degree, I'd say it's still a little bit of safety because I love the work that the people Ooh, yeah. are putting up there, but also it's all names that we know in, in industry. Yeah, but and also like it's a very new. Isn't only like two or three years. Yeah, old. it's only two or like... three years old. Um, but the stuff that's coming out of there is you wouldn't see it on main stage per se I think it's still mm. risky to an extent I think there's still a degree of safety to it but it's still risky to an extent and he's producing such yeah. fabulous work like I've gone there and it's full houses pretty much all the time and it's so nice to see yeah, yeah. work in a well-known Sydney theatre that's still pushing boundaries like the amount of stuff that I've seen mm. which is about climate change and masochism and, um, like, Astral Plane last year was the, coo- like, oh, my goodness, the kookiest, craziest. You read the synopsis and you go, what the actual am I about to watch? And it was one of the best pieces 
of work that I've seen and Shepherd recently. Oh my gosh, incredible. But you read yeah. the synopsis of these and you go, what on earth are you, are you about to put me through? Do I really want to go and see this? But it's phenomenal work. And mm. the fact that Belvoir is creating the space for that is awesome. And I tip for them. Yeah. So, I, like, I just feel like I need to raise mm-hmm. this point. Because 25A, like, although it is Belvoir, it's like their yeah. indie theatre program. So it's like, why are indie theatres taking the risk, putting things on the line, but then main stage isn't doing that? Like, where is the difference in yeah. main stage and then indie? Because yeah. I feel like indie theatre, like, if you look at Old Fitz, Cakes, too, whatever, they're all doing yeah. crazy shit. Like, Old Fitz is about to do a Sarah Kane play. Oh, that oh shit is gosh. insane. Oh, right. But then Sydney Theatre Company is doing A View for the Bridge, which we've seen in Sydney, oh, like, seven I times just, in the past few years. Like, we, it just is crazy to me. Can I please take a moment to stand on my soapbox and utterly complain about the fact that we're about to see in the Sydney uh, theatre industry again a view from a bridge? Like, holy shit, I love Arthur Miller, but let the man, like, just sleep for a while. Breathe, yeah, let him breathe. I'm crying. (laughs) Like, I am just... Also, for anyone that saw the original production at Old Fitz, why... I didn't, but I saw the one in oh, Melbourne. Which is basically one and the same. There's only a few different cast members. Yeah. Like, honestly, yeah. just, you can't come back from that. You cannot put it on a, a main stage and people are still going to say that was good. I don't care. Like, I love Rose Byrne and mm. I love her husband, who I can't remember the name of. But Bobby. Yeah, something, something along is. those lines. It's Bobby something. But no. Like, just no. We have... What I want to know, right? So they're doing this play, or they did yeah. the play in New York that was directed by Simon Stone. It looked fucking amazing. I'm like, why don't you bring yeah. that here? Why are you bringing me a view for the bridge? I want to are see that play. The, What's going you, on? Is this the one that they did together at Medea? Was it Medea? Oh, I yeah. want to see Medea, but no. I'm like, bring that to Sydney. It looks so fucking good. But you're bringing me a view for the bridge. Uh, what? I'm going to scream. Oh, my goodness. And see, for me, that's not risk-taking. And I feel like everyone in... I think everyone, artist-wise, they were screaming when they saw a view from a bridge back on. I remember sitting on my computer on my phone and going through the STCCs, and I was so excited. And I was like, oh, awesome. Andrea Dimitriadis, incredible. The cast for No Pay, No Way, awesome. Danny from the Deep Blue Sea, uh, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And then I got to a view from a bridge and I'm pretty sure I shut my computer and walked out of the room because I was like me literally me and that was one of my things one of my gripes with this the theater scene for the last couple of years how many revivals have we seen I want to shoot myself oh my god I know it's like why can't we just have one company that like commits himself to doing revivals and then like they can just take them all, take them away from everyone else. We don't want to see them. And that's the thing is that that's not risky because they've gone, okay, cool, that worked there, so let's bring it. I mean, yes, awesome, good for the actors and good for the creative teams. They get to work again. But you're also then mm. cutting the opportunity for anyone new to premiere work or new to premiere yeah. on stage or to build a career. I think it's it, like, I think it can be a risk granted like say you took something and then like completely reimagined it i can see yeah, that that would be like a they, risk. i don't think they've been reimagining them i mean you've no, had no, no. from a bridge you've had i mean like actually if you think about it this um stc for the last how many years and i think this season as well because 
honey what is it home i'm darling that came up that's from melbourne unfortunately oh yeah there was something in the mtc season this year and i was like well that was down here i think cloud street went down to melbourne um Oh my god, but Cloud Street looked amazing though. I, I really want to see it as well, but I could not bring myself to sit through seven hours of theatre at that price. Yeah, no, I neither. loved literally everyone in that cast. Guy Diamond, yeah, honestly, same. I love him with every bit of my heart. One of my old tutors, Lucia Mastrantoni, was in it. Oh my gosh, she's a mm. goddess. I still, I still could not bring myself to watch that show because I was like, I have no, I do not have the stamina for this. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> um, my, 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 I was lucky to make a point, but then we got it to Anyway, yeah. Like, um, I was literally about to bring it up because we were talking about why is it the independent sector that's taking risk. Whereas, yes. Because yeah. they don't, I think there's a lot less to lose, like in, in a way. Yeah, in terms of money, there's a lot. Less, in terms of money, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot, lot less to lose. Because you do on a smaller budget because you don't have the money because you don't have the funding. So then yeah. they go, okay, let's then just... Because for that, it's the art that you want to make. All the ones that are subsidised, mm. it's the art that makes the money and brings in the crowd. For the unsubsidised yeah. and indie sector, it's this is what the artists want to see. This is what we want to make noise about and shape the world on. Yeah. But it's just... Infuri- it's infuriating that it's left to them. It's like, why yeah. can't... And I get it's money. Money makes the world go round, and it's so unfortunate. But I just wish I could see the STC seasons, the Belvoir seasons, which they can't. They dribs and drabs do, and ensemble. I want to see them take risks. Um, Darlinghurst Theatre, from my personal slowly learning the industry over the last couple of years, the Darlinghurst Theatre Company, I think, have been amazing that they've I feel like they were kind of a little bit safe and they've grown and grown and grown and now that they've got a new artistic director um like this season this year was you would never see it anywhere else it was just completely fresh and new and it's so exciting Mm. um because of main stage theater's lack of risk taking Mm -hmm. how do you think that that kind of sets an expectation for what audiences are seeing like if audiences are only seeing you know mm. like traditional white yes. stories like whatever then if that's the things that they're like used to seeing yeah. when somebody takes a risk and it's doing it's something completely different definitely. are they gonna not want to see that because it's not what they're used to it's exactly. not what they expect from yeah, theater exactly you know what I mean? no i 100 percent agree with this and it's something that I've thought about time and time again and it's a really good point to raise where how much do you need to kind of consistently take risk in order to keep on taking risks and have people respond and I mean I guess there's a degree to which you're always going to have a little bit of safety of going if you listen to the people around you hear what they want to see you go okay cool so I will at least have 10 people in the audience, awesome. As long mm. as you know that there's a little bit of a safety in there, I think it's fine. But, yeah, you need to keep on consistently taking risk in order to keep on taking risks, which sounds weird and convoluted. But And I think that's why the indie sector kind of works so well is because 
they're now known for taking risks. So that's their thing is that they get to continue to take risks. Sometimes it works. Sometimes they're not risky enough. But, Mm. yeah. And it's also hard as well if you kind of, for the theatre companies as well, because it's been such a struggle at the moment, you're going, what's going to get people through the door that people are going to want to pay money for? And I think it's been a little bit less risky the last couple of years. I think this year was going to be insanely risky. I mean, as you said before, Old Fitz doing Sarah Kane, which even, yeah, crazy. even saying those words, my heart tightens and like I get a little bit of anxiety because I was like, to see a Sarah Kane in that space. Oh, that's the most yeah, no, thing. but I think it would be a really interesting like landscape when we come yeah. back from coronavirus yeah. to see what happens because I feel like with like this is all this talk about like you know when this is over everyone's gonna rush back to the arts because blah 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 which I absolutely yeah. agree with but it's like I don't know are they gonna be making work just to build it back up or are they gonna like. I thought like about what that will myself. happen. I think that's a really interesting. I thought about that myself. I was like, are they, yeah, are they going to do what they need to at least just get some money back? Or mm. are they going, is this going to be their time to take risk because people are just going to come and support? And I kind of think yeah. it's going to be the latter, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I genuinely think people are going to be like, yes, excellent. Let's go and help these people and support these people and let's bring everyone back up. Um, and so I think this is the next 18 months is going to be a really good opportunity for theatres and theatre makers to take risk. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, it's unfortunate times, but I think really exciting. And I feel like as well. But we're going to come back from it bigger and better. Like, it's what I've been saying. It's like, I don't know. I feel like coronavirus in a way was kind of like the wake up call yeah. the industry needed. Yeah, and I think it's kind of recent. in its in a weird yeah. way. It's like I feel like I don't know, like it has made people realise that they need to support other yeah. artists. It made people realise that, you know, yeah. like it made people realise so many things and I'm like, well maybe we needed that. Maybe no. we needed something to shock yeah, the system. totally. I think it's not even just for the industry, for everyone. It's making oh, for everyone, yeah. I think it's making people kind of take a step back restock and everyone to find their passion and for why they're doing this again because you kind of get caught Mm. up in a slog of trying to get to the next step trying to get better trying to get more work whereas now everyone's having to take a step back and you go I actually miss doing this because it puts a fire in my bones I know that's happened to me I was doing that for ages I was burnt out for the last 18 months and I just am terrible and I power through it which is I never recommend to anyone. And even within two weeks, I've already gone with all of this downtime, my body's had a chance to rest and go, I just miss doing this. I miss playing with people on stage. Let's go do this again. And I think it's just going to be so exciting once theatres reopen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to chat about what would happen to storytelling or the industry or you know whatever if nobody took risks like what if we all just stayed in like a safe place telling the same stories like what would happen over and over and over and over again yeah literally yeah um which would be boring as bad shit especially because people wouldn't be reinventing it i mean you wouldn't see titus andronicus how it was done last year by bell shakespeare um 
Yeah. That was that was But then I think that like if we stayed in a safe place and then everybody got used to that, like that was the expectation. Do you think the industry would still like remain relevant or like remain people would still be interested because that's what they would now expect? I think people I think the industry would be fine because it would be people's form of entertainment. But yeah. that isn't what we do it for ultimately. Like, oh, like yeah. especially in the theatre industry, you were in this industry not to make money. You were in this industry because you love telling stories and you love to provoke. Um, and so I don't think the, in- the industry would be fine in terms of making profit and getting people through the door, but it, it wouldn't be doing what it is currently intended to do, which is to inspire people and mm. to challenge norms and bring out new voices that aren't normally heard which is the way that it's moving to now so if it would never got here it'd be so boring and you'd be alienating so many people yeah absolutely no i'm doing a whole episode on that i'm going to do an episode about um what art is made for yes because i was chatting for to a friend who was talking about like I don't know, the rock movies or something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but those movies are made purely for entertainment. Like, they're not made yeah. to, like, provoke you. That's just not what their purpose is. Like, and then I was thinking about, like, what is the purpose of different art forms? So I'm going to do a whole episode Oh, my gosh, it. I love talking about this. This is one of my favourite things to think about and talk about in terms mm. of art. Because, I mean, and, again, that's kind of why STC does well because this is the tried and true known stuff that people love so therefore you're going to be fine but then and so yeah. that's kind of your hollywood blockbusters but then if you go to south by southwest that's kind of on a more elevated level but that's your indie sector that's the stuff where it's about provoking it's about getting under people's skin and it's about being a little bit left of center but still telling really true human stories yeah, which I think is so much more so interesting much than just being entertained. Like, I've been to so many shows where they're just, like, talking about, like, I don't know, being rich and privileged, and I'm like, Judge this is up. so boring. Yeah, I'm like, I am over this. Like, I would much rather see a show where they were, like, you know, I mean, this is extreme, obviously, but I'd much rather see a show where they were, like, killing animals on stage. At least that would, like, provoke me in a way that would be interesting. Do you know what no, I mean? Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, so, for example... I think it was last year, STC did Avalanche. Avalanche? I think it was just called Avalanche. And it was a one-woman. Oh, one yeah, woman the one from England? Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. I was, that was really fascinating to talk about with people afterwards because I came out of that and had all these people going, I was crying. This was beautiful. It was so great to see a female story. And then I talked to other people. I was like, thank you. You're my people. Where um, we were like, yeah, it's awesome. STC just put on a one-woman monologue for an hour and a half or two hours. But it was about a woman being able to afford having IVF. Yes, that's their audience. Their audience would probably be able to do that. But there were so many of us that walked out of it and went, that's not my story. Like that's mm. – and my thoughts through it and then other people's thoughts that I was talking to about it were all like, what about kids that could get adopted? And – that was, I think that was quite controversial in the piece anyway. But it's those things where that's not our stories, so we don't want to hear them. Yeah. And so that's where that's where you kind of get the the unknown new playwrights that write these works that are really provocative and don't fit a main stage 
to go into places like KXT and Old Fitz and Griffin, I would say, and, yeah, put on works where it's like this is maybe lower budget and grittier, but it's still a human truth. But I think that some plays, they like some plays just cannot go on a main stage. Like they're just not made for that. I 100% agree. Like, Like I was chatting to someone about a Griffin show. I don't remember what show it was, but I was like, they could never put this on at the Rosalind Packer or wherever. Like it just wouldn't be the same. It would not work. It needs to be intimate. It needs to be small. I would love to know what that is. What that, I mean, I 100% agree. That happens a lot. And this, um, for a lot of things as well, it's about, it's because of the intimacy of the space. You can completely mm. pack it out with a set, but it's about the fact that it's intimate and close quarters. Like the thing yeah. is you can't put, a, I don't think you could put a Sarah Kane on at a main stage and have the same effect. Like the reason why it's yeah, no. so confronting when put on at the old fits is because it's so close. Like yeah. 100%, I think at least two times a week, someone's going to pass out in that audience. <laughs> Has to probably to pass out. Um, <laughs> um, do you think that having an intimate space like makes it quote unquote safer to take a take a risk or like do something extreme because of that intimacy and that you know um, connection that I think can be lost sometimes in huge huge theaters. Um, do you think that it, like, creates a safer... I actually think it's riskier because I think you're more exposed because it's a smaller audience, like, because you're with the audience. Whereas going yeah. somewhere at Rosalind Packer or Belvoir, kind of, um, you're, like, you at least kind of have the experience of a fourth wall. Whereas if you go to KXT, they're on either side of you. Like I could step yeah. on their toes. It's, it's I think it's so confronting, um, and is so I mm, as an artist I think it's so much riskier to be in an intimate space because I think yeah you're more exposed and therefore have more to lose. Whereas you can at least run behind the wings at an STC show or hide behind um, the set or the props. Hide behind their rolling house set that they have, you know. <laughs> Like, go down into the floor because they just have that in their show. Not that they need it, but they can afford it, yeah. so why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just open a trap door because, yeah, we've got it in the budget. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, but I think, yeah, like, the intimacy, maybe it'll make it more risky, but I feel like if you're creating a space that is, like, you're so like one with the audience yeah. I feel like that would accept a risk yeah. like better and easier than if you were like having a okay. distance yeah. from them. on that yeah I, okay I agree with that it's that there's it's I think it's more confronting to take the risk but it's still at least you've got more permission to take a greater risk and people yeah. know that it's a greater risk if that makes yeah. sense yeah no, yeah I agree yeah. with that I have a random thought. Because I'm talking about risk taking in the industry, but do you think that coming into the industry or just being in the industry is a risk in terms think- of life? Because, you know, people are always doing, oh, well, it's not stable, it's not this, whatever. Like, is it a risk to just be making art? Like, um, Yes, I think it's 100% a risk 
to be taking art. What did I just say? <laughs> I think it's 100% <laughs> a risk to be choosing to have a career in the arts because it's not going to be stable. You're going to have to compromise to an extent of how you're going to put food on the table and keep a roof on your head. But it's I, th- I think for people that want to make art and it's going, this is going to sound so esoteric as everything you do as when you talk mm-hmm. about art. But I think as an artist, it's riskier to not go down this route and compromise yourself and what you want to do if you do a normal nine to five and don't pursue anything, pursue anything in the arts because you're just going, what on earth is the point of all of this if it's not challenging anything? I don't know. If you it's, really, if you really want exactly, it, it's like- I don't think it's a risk for you because you know you want it. And if you really want it, you'll get there somehow. And that's literally at the top of this, what we were talking about, where what's a risk for me isn't a risk for you necessarily. For other people who don't have the Mm. passion for this, they're going, what the F are you doing this for? Like, this is not stable. You're going to be struggling your entire life. Like, And you're like, yeah, so what? I'm fine with it. Because I would rather be to yeah, but then that. to me, I'm like, why would you study for ten years to be a lawyer? Oh like, who would do I that? I said that to so many people, and it is my favorite trump card. I love, love it. it. <laughs> no, me. I'm like, why would you go to uni? Yeah. Who are you? Like, like, yeah, and then because then you have your friends that um come to you and you go, oh, I don't know if I want to do this uni course. I just did it because my parents wanted to. I'm like, why? Why? Why, 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 why did you choose to do that? Because, I think that analogy is what the industry will be if nobody took a risk and it was just like, oh, we did it because, like, I don't know, the industry, like, just is that. Like, it would be so, (laughs) like, dead and boring and tired and nobody, there'd be no passion in it. Like, it would just be, oh, we're just putting on another David Williamson. Yeah, cool. Like... (laughs) Sorry, that's that's just too relevant. <laughs> Literally, you know the amount of people that I've spoken to that detest David Williamson. I think it's David amazing. Williams detests himself. Probably. I he, I'm fairly confident. I heard someone say that, and he's like, "Because what? Because he had two shows at them on recently, and he said, I think from one of them, he said, this is my last one. We need to be done with me,' or something along that those lines." And I heard that and I started applauding from my desk because I was like, yes, good job. Yeah, literally. But, like, that's also a really good thing as an artist is he knows my time to tell stories is done and it's time to allow someone else's voice. David Williamson, Williams, Williamson, I'm now forgetting his last (laughs) name. Um, He was important at the beginning of Australian drama because Mm. he was – helping to bring to light the voice of the Australian, like Australiana culture and so on. But now that that's been established and now that the Australian cultural landscape has changed, you need to put the more relevant voices forward. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, uh, Is there anything else you want to touch on, talk about? Oh, look, I'm sure there is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there is. Nothing can come to my mind right now. Now that the pressure is on, I can't think. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on and thank you for no. chatting. It was fantastic. Thank you for asking me on. I loved it.
is that I was going to say is anything you want to like promote, but there's like nothing, there's nothing to promote these days. There's nothing I can promote, <laughs> unfortunately. Sadly, but it's okay because we'll be back. We will be back, stronger and better than yeah. ever. That's it. And I'll be back next week with another episode about something fun. Thank you for listening.